Well, good evening. It's time once again for Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. As you know, this is where we discuss vet-centric topics, the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly, in the hope that listeners will better understand our veterans, our veterans will know they're not alone, and perhaps along the way we'll learn something about each other. We sincerely hope to accomplish that mission. And of course, the opinions expressed here are mine alone as a veteran. Tonight. Chris Meyer, Artistic Director and President of VetRap, will be here to tell us about some very exciting events and some very exciting news for veterans in general. But first, here is Don Shaw, Director of the Hudson Valley VA Healthcare System, with your VA Today. Hi. Uh, thank you for allowing me to join today. I have uh, several updates I'd like to share with you um, going on here at VA Hudson Valley. Um, the first thing I'd like to do this month is tell you about an innovative program that recently started at VA Hudson Valley and will be replicated at VA medical centers across the nation. It is our telerehabilitation program for traumatic brain injury, or TBI for short. While virtual care has been part of VA for many years, adapting to the COVID-19 pandemic has enabled veterans to access more online options. For veterans receiving TBI or polytrauma care, this means having access to specialized polytrauma and TBI clinical services no matter where they live. It means having treatment options that may not be available locally. Our tele-TBI team at VA Hudson Valley is comprised of a TBI specialist, a speech therapist, a mental health provider, and a TBI telehealth coordinator. Our team treats veterans from areas around the country, including many rural areas. And this includes veterans enrolled at VA medical centers, such as Erie, Pennsylvania, Augusta, Georgia, Albany, New York, Montana, Memphis, Tennessee, and Northern Indiana. Earlier this month, Navy veteran Conan O'Rourke spoke with some of our team at VA about living with TBI. He finished his interview by saying, I am much happier now. I feel like I am getting someone who is like a primary care doctor for my brain injury. I have someone who is looking at all aspects of my care. Conan's comments are just one example of how the pandemic has shown us how we can seamlessly integrate virtual care into veterans' health journeys, often improving their care, and for many veterans, treating them from the comfort of their own home. All that said, TBI treatment isn't the only care we offer virtually. 
At VA Hudson Valley, we offer over 50 different virtual care modalities, and we're always looking to expand the opportunities for veterans to connect with their providers virtually and in the comfort of their own home. If you're a veteran who thinks you could benefit from receiving virtual care, please talk to us about it the next time you call or visit the facility. We look forward to providing you with convenient care wherever you feel most comfortable, and we can't thank you enough for your service to our great nation. So this is just one of the many exciting new programs here at VA Hudson Valley that I'm very happy to showcase for you this month. Uh, now I want to move on and give you an update regarding uh, medical device recall um, that has happened in recent months. This is from Philips. Uh, healthcare, and after discovering a potential health risk related to a part in, in their CPAP, BiPAP, and mechanical ventilator devices, the Philips company issued a voluntary field safety notice and voluntary recall notification. And while patient safety is our top priority, we want to make sure our veterans are aware of this recall. Okay, this is being done by the manufacturer of the CPAP and BiPAP and ventilator device machines, um, and that's Philips. So the best way, if you have a CPAP, BiPAP, or ventilator device from Philips and um, want to follow up, which we urge you to do so, there is a phone number that our veterans can call to connect with them and get specific follow-up regarding their device. So we're asking that our veterans call 1-877-907-7508. And I'm going to repeat that again. The number for Philips, 1-877-907-7508. Or you can also visit their website which is www.philips.com forward slash src hyphen update. And if you call that number or go to the website, you will get information there and you can give the company the serial number off of your machine. And that's for CPAP, BiPAP, and um, mechanical ventilator devices. And with that serial number, they'll be able to coordinate with you to review your device and the appropriate follow-up, which is often receiving a replacement equipment for that recall. If for any reason that hasn't is not worked for you, does not work for you, please you can also always reach out to our prosthetics department here at VA Hudson Valley by calling 845 831 2000 extension 215661 or extension 215662 and our prosthetic staff are here to help you um, and will help coordinate whatever follow-up needs to be done uh, regarding these CPAP and BiPAP machines. And then as always, if you have any immediate healthcare concerns and you need to speak to a doctor right away, please reach out to your physician and discuss any concerns with them. But for the 
actual recall of the CPAP and BiPAP machines, please either call the 1-877-907-7508 or go to the website or contact the prosthetics department at VA Hudson Valley and we are here ready to assist you. So thank you very much for letting me provide these updates. I have one last thing I want to give you an update about that is just a little bit of initial information with more information that will come in the, in the coming months that I'll be happy to share with you. But since President Biden's State of the Union on March 1st, burn pits and military environmental exposure have gotten a great deal of attention nationally, much needed attention. During his speech, he said that the VA, the VA is pioneering new ways of linking toxic exposures to disease and already helping more veterans get benefits. Also, he said tonight, he's announcing that we're expanding eligibility to veterans suffering from nine respiratory cancers. And he's also calling on Congress to pass a law to make sure veterans devastated by toxic exposure in Iraq and Afghanistan finally get the benefits and the comprehensive health care they deserve. So that was all said in President Biden's State of the Union on March 1st. And so we don't have too much information yet, but we'd like to share um, you know, these changes as they become available. And we're looking forward to what will come and always fully support anything that will allow us to expand the care we're providing to our nation's heroes. So please know there will be more information forthcoming over the, over the next several months and we'll be very happy to share it with you as it becomes available. And thanks always, Doug, for allowing me to be on the show and providing these updates from VA Hudson Valley. Well, thank you, Dawn, and we'll uh, speak with you next month on Let's Talk yeah. Vets, Radio Catskill, WJFF. We often feature organizations that recognize the value of creative arts for veterans. It seems that the term post-traumatic stress is often too liberally applied by those who don't really have a clue what it is. This affliction has been called many things over the years, shell shock, battle fatigue, and in the Civil War, probably most appropriately, soldier's heart. While the names have changed, some of the aspects remain constant. One school of thought believes that the root cause is moral injury. We train our military folks to fight and to kill if necessary. Taking the life of another human being is antithetical to most of us, and while we may continue to function in the fog of the situation, the conflict of conscience often prevails long afterward. Beyond that, there is the divide of understanding between our military members and the other 99% of U.S. citizens who are the civilians. So regardless of the nature of one's service, it's easy to feel out of place upon return to the world. John Galena, founder of Purple Heart Homes, told me the biggest question he and other vets have upon separation and return to the world is, what is my purpose now? Indeed. Whether you're building a wooden kayak at the Hudson Valley National Center for Veterans Reintegration, penning a story at Warrior Writers, making cloth-based paper out of old uniforms at Frontline Arts, or performing an Exit 12 dance company, 
you are, in effect, reinventing yourself and developing a new purpose for your life. A reason to get up in the morning. We all need that, right? And in so doing, maybe attaining some degree of healing. Vet Rep is short for Veterans Repertory Theater, the vision of one Chris Meyer. Vet Rep allows veterans the opportunity to have their work professionally produced for the American theater. And here now is our conversation with Chris Meyer, founder and artistic director of Vet Rep, as he tells us a fascinating story in his own words. Okay, Chris Meyer, founder of Vet Rep, welcome to Let's Talk Vets. Thanks, Doug. So we've come to recognize in the veteran community and the organizations that work with vets the value of creative arts as a vehicle for self-expression, perhaps more importantly, a valuable tool to help vets and others dealing with high stress and traumatic situations find new purpose and value to their lives, if you will, a reason to get up in the morning. Now, of all the creative arts, you favor theater and you have said about theater that it is, quote, the most imaginative, subversive, creative, and unpredictable performing art. How did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the easiest way to explain it is that theater has probably the greatest agreement with its audience that we are going to suspend disbelief. And as a result, the confines of the performance and of the space are open because we all know this is made up. Now, you know that in a movie and you know that when you open a book, a, a piece of fiction, but with theater, because people are in front of you living and trying to be these characters right in front of your eyes, you know, if somebody was doing that to you in real life, you'd just say they're lying and they're you know, psychotic. So to do it on the stage right in front of you requires that willing suspension of disbelief to go face to face with uh, an actor as an audience member and allow them to deceive you for your own entertainment. And that just opens the door to so many possibilities and possibilities that aren't necessarily available in film. Things where you can put cast members into the audience and break the fourth wall. Things where you can start to turn down the temperature in the theater so that people get cold when you want them to get when the playwright wants them to get cold and empathize or feel with uh, the folks on stage. You can do Greek choruses where you have 16 people in unison saying the thoughts of one person. You know, it's you can do crazy creative things like that. And the form is just a lot more malleable than many others. And I think it's a really exciting experience and it makes it very dynamic for everybody. So that's kind of the appeal of it for me and I think the value for an audience. So I think I would have to add to that that even though you go into the theater understanding that what you're about to see is not real, if the play is good, the audience gets, uh, for want of a better term, sucked into it and yeah. forget for a while that maybe it isn't real and maybe that's part of the appeal of theater and the movies for that matter is to forget what's going on in the outside world and also i would have to believe that as well rehearsed or as well versed as the actors are with the with the play being presented that play can change to some degree on some level is nuanced by the interaction of the audience huh? 
A hundred percent. It's a living, it's it, each performance is a living, breathing creature and it's never duplicated. Yes. The script is the same. Yes. Generally the direction should be consistent, but people are people and actors are people and the audience are people. They're going to change performance in performance out. So it makes it, it's kind of like going to a great restaurant. You know, the, the food might always be great quality, but it's always going to be a little bit different because it's, it's just human nature and it's a living, breathing dynamic that's, that's happening. So 9-11-2001 was a pivotal day for our country and indeed the world. I wonder if you remember where you were and what happened to you on 9-11. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of never, it's funny. Um, I, I've never celebrated or commemorated 9-11 because I kind of feel like every day it's, it's just never been far from my mind since then. Um, I, was, I was at the towers that day completely by happenstance. I, I was on jury duty. A little side note, that's the last time I ever served on a jury. Um, and, and I've always thought if I ever get asked again, I'll make sure to let them know the last time I served on a jury, this is what happened. So you may not want me on a jury again. But I, I just happened to, uh, to have jury duty down at 71 Thomas Street, which was caddy corner to the Trade Center. So um, I had been working a job all night on a graveyard shift, and then I took the subway down, the West Side subway down uh, to the Chamber Street stop underneath the Trade Center that morning. And it just so happened that was when I think the second plane hit the towers. And so I saw that the, you know, the whole train station platform was packed, like abnormally packed, even for rush hour at Chamber Street. And, but anyway, that's the reason I was there. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that for right now. It was all because of jury duty, and, and then I was there that day. And, yeah, that made an indelible imprint on the rest of my life. But also, uh, you were getting ready to present your first play. We'd actually done it. We had, we had launched the weekend before. So that first weekend, that Friday night, was our opening night. And we, if I remember right, we had a Friday night show, a Saturday night show, Sunday matinee. And then we were dark on Monday, like most theaters are. And I you know, was ecstatic. It was my directorial debut. I mean, this was not, I'm, I, there's no delusions of grandeur here. I mean, I was off, off Broadway. But I thought, hey, it's good. It's a, it's a proof of concept that this might be a good line of work for me. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. And the cast was awesome. And the audience was really receptive. And the playwright was happy. So everything was clicking. And then Tuesday came along and we never opened again. I remember my lead actor lost a lot of good friends that day. He, he had an abnormally high number of friends that worked at, a, uh, I can't remember the name of the firm, but the one that was on one of the top floors uh, of the Trade Center. Cantor Fitzgerald. Really, can't, thank you. Cantor Fitzgerald, yes. So he, um, he was really uh, jacked up in particular. And, and not that it mattered. I mean, the theater was, was shuttered. Uh, you know, they, nobody was going to do anything anytime soon there. So yeah, it was uh, my directorial career came to a pretty screeching halt kind of when that all happened. Wow. So it's, uh, you say in, in the, the information you sent me, it's taken me 20 years to get back to the theater. So yeah. what happened in between? What did you do? Yeah. So it's funny. I didn't rush off and join the military right away. I definitely had the urge uh, and I was like, boy, this is a great reason to go join the military. But my, um, you know, while I was working in the arts, my day job was working as a prison chaplain on Rikers Island. And I really felt like I was doing 
good work there and necessary work. And uh, we were seeing signs of radicalization in the prisons, you know, and I thought, well, hey, this is a war on terror. Terrorism, it's an ideology and that can travel anywhere and it's not geographically restricted. And we're certainly seeing the seeds of that in the New York City prison system at the time. So I felt like I was doing a lot to combat that where I was. Now, fast forward, I think four years, three or four years after that, and I was like, oh, well, this war's not going anywhere. And I think I've used up my bandwidth doing what I was doing in the prisons. And, you know, I'd played college football. I was, you know, a physically active guy. And I was like, you know, the recruiting numbers are down. People are getting, you know, a little weary of being in the war, it seems like, and public opinion starting to shift. And I was like, I think I've got something more to contribute. And maybe it's better that I get, you know, left of boom and and start stopping problems before they start rather than catching people that are already in prison and trying to deal with the second and third order effects of what got them there and just get ahead of the curve a little bit. So I made the transition to, uh, in many respects, be a lot less spiritual and get um, and go into the military. And there were a bunch of other things that happened. I won't bore with that because it'll take us in a whole bunch of different directions. But but yeah, uh, the, the military was, um, it just seemed like this was the right time in history to be doing this. And this was my war and I wasn't going to miss it. So your passion for theater craft never left you. And uh, eventually you established vet rep uh, to provide an opportunity for veterans through a variety of programs. Let's talk about the unique opportunities that you're working with. So what I always tell people is, you know, there's two kinds of veterans organizations. There's ones that help veterans, and that's their mission. And there's ones that use veteran skill sets to help solve a problem. And a lot of times you see that with folks like Team Rubicon and guys that do humanitarian work and, and what have you. We consider ourselves to be in the latter category. And it's not that there's not therapeutic value and art therapy value in veterans writing and getting involved in any kind of art, and but certainly theater. There absolutely is. But for us, what we've found to be effective is saying to veterans, look, we want you to help us affect the culture. And if culture is the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves, we as Americans can't tell that story effectively or fully unless we integrate veteran voices into pop culture. So this is an avenue to do that. And the reason I should say why I think veterans aren't in pop culture to that degree is because it's not practical. I mean, veterans are, have, get, get imbued with a sense of practicality and it's hard to make a living in the arts. So if we can make that easier, if we can s select and assess people with talent and say, hey, look, there's a viable career here for you. We will get you the grants. We will make sure that this becomes an option for you so that we can take care of some of those practical concerns and you can tap into a storytelling ability in some artistic medium, specifically theater, but it could be a bunch of other things that are accessories to theater. And we will make sure that that gets as much of a platform as we can give it to get into the mainstream and into pop culture. And I think that's, you know, I think a lot of veterans immediately gravitate towards going into politics or going into the military industrial complex in some way, contracting, advising, you know, what have you. And that's all good. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with any of that public spiritedness and public mindedness 
but I think a lot of times we overlook the value that veterans can bring to the country through artistic contributions, that so much of our lives are downstream of culture, whether it's politics, whether it's individual personal decision-making, it all comes from the culture. It comes from these stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. And the more veterans' voices that are doing that, I think the better decision-making we make as a people, and that just has multiple second and third order effects that I think are better for the country and better for entertainment. Just make more fun programs that people will enjoy and that a wider audience will enjoy. And that's, and not to go on too long about it, but just one final point. That's something we've noticed with theater is theater, you know, I, which I love, it has become a very provincial kind of art form. It's, it's located around New York and parts of Chicago and a little bit in Austin. And, you know, there's just little pockets, but it's not something that everybody feels a, a part of. And there's not that swelling of pride of great American theater, the way we, um, you know, the way we rally around other things in this country. And that's a shame because there is great American theater, but a lot of it is because the theater doesn't speak to many Americans. So I think veterans are very, very conscious of the range of personalities and the range of sensibilities that constitute America. And we've rubbed shoulders with each other. We, we're aware of where everybody's heads are at a lot more than I think uh, folks that are kind of geographically locked. And I think they have a good, great sensibility and great experiential wisdom that by getting into the arts, it'll just make for better entertainment that people enjoy a lot more. So that's that's it in a nutshell. Well, that's an interesting point because any performance, we'll just take comedy, for example, uh, is very successful if people can relate to it. Yep. If, if, you yes. hit a, if you hit a nerve that everybody says, oh, yeah, I've been there, done that. So three specific things that we're going to talk about the playwriting competitions, and that goes hand in hand, I think, with the resident art grants. And then what is very adaptable to our world of radio, audio plays. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to take us through the uh, playwriting competition, how it works, how long it takes, and what the end product of that is in uh, 10 words or less. <laughs> and then what I have in mind, as you and I also discussed, is on a future program, we're actually going to delve into one or two or more of the actual folks, veterans that participated and the recipients of the final decision to go ahead and get them the grants and, the, and to help them produce their product for your platform. Yes. And I love that idea, and I think it's a great idea. And let's give you all the credit for for coming up with it. And I think it's it's brilliant and would be really appreciated, um, both by the playwrights and hopefully by all the future playwrights out there listening. Maybe, well, Cherry, and it should, but we have a very liberal definition of veteran. We include really anybody from the widespread profession of arms, so military, law enforcement. We also include fire, EMS, intelligence services foreign service, DOD employees or DOD contractors, present or former, and not least of all, immediate family members, because we want those that have been closest to veterans to benefit from that association and have it. And we know they have a different perspective. They've been on a different kind of emotional roller coaster, and we want to make sure we honor that. So we include all of them in our definition of an eligible veteran that can submit work to us. So 
that's the first piece is who's eligible. And when, once they've cleared that hurdle, then it's a matter of what do they have to send us? So what we ask for is one of two kinds of work, either a full length play, which is anything that's more than a 10 minute play for our intents and purposes, or a 10 minute play. And the 10 minute play, which you refer to is um, what we've kind of taken a view of as an audio play. And the reason for that is because we have a podcast platform and we have a channel and we are like, hey, that would be really fun to start to plus those up with really entertaining, short, you know, 10 minute plays, pretty much a sketch. So, uh, so capturing one succinct idea eloquently in a 10 minute span is a, is, is a difficult thing to do for a playwright, but when it's done well, it's beautiful. It's, it's hilarious. It's moving and it's short and quick and, you know, really can leave an impression very quickly. So though the veteran quote unquote, uh, who, who is eligible for our competitions will submit one of those two pieces of work. Then it sits there really until the competition period is over and the competition periods are open for six months. So we give people a lot of time to be able to submit a lot of time to be able to find out about us. And at the end of that, I sit down and I read all of it and I pretty much lose my mind. And this is, we've done one competition. It's coming to an end right now, but this first time I took the month of January, our competition ended on, on December 31st. And the entire month of January, I did nothing but wake up and read plays and go to sleep and then wake up and read more plays. And it was more grueling than I anticipated, not because of the quality of work, but you're creatively gear shifting an awful lot uh, between pieces. But at the end of it, after reading, I think it was somewhere around 186 plays, I was able to call down two top 10 lists, one for the 10 minute plays one for the full-length plays. And then it went to a panel of judges that we had assembled. We were really blessed and lucky to have really phenomenal uh, judges for this first competition. We had Christian Camargo, who's a really well-established actor. Uh, he's been in Twilight, The Hurt Locker, Dexter, uh, you know, a bunch of, bunch of big shows. Bob Balaban, who is been in a million movies, um, everything from Wes Anderson films to George Clooney films to, you know, all the Christopher Guest mockumentaries. Uh, we had a Broadway playwright, Jeremy Carrigan, who was just great. He also works as a writing teacher. So his, his insight uh, was really awesome and appreciated. And Jonathan Leaf, who's won multiple awards in the city for his work. Uh, some of the critic favorite plays or there's always a Jonathan Leaf play in there. He's just an incredibly well-respected playwright. And then Rob Long, who was one of the original producers on Cheers and is just kind of this just super creative problem solver who can see a script and immediately understand where the hiccups are and what needs to happen to fix them. Just a really great producer mindset. So between all of them, they whittled down the list and it was funny because I got to see I think almost all of their lists when they were submitted to the chief judge who was Rob Long and the lists completely inverted. You know, it's like one person would have plays listed one to 10. The other person would be the exact opposite for their list of one to 10. So really strong pieces. And that was kind of the consistent refrain that we heard from the judges was how impressed they were. And these were all people that clearly had been around the block multiple times in the business. 
And they said, look, we, we just really didn't know what to expect with this. And we, you know, had pretty low expectations. And I said, your average run of the mill playwriting competition, is going to have a lot of schlock in it. And this was work that really was consistently excellent, interesting, innovative. And that was very, very cool to hear. Um, Cause I certainly thought so, but you know, I'm biased. So to hear that from them meant a lot. And now we have, as of, you know, three days ago, I think it was, we finally selected our winner and two finalists and we're doing all the preliminary stuff before we announce them. But that's essentially the long detailed explanation of how we get from point A to point B on this. Okay. And once you refine this to the next step, then uh, the, the winner or winners will go into actually producing the play so it can be seen? We will produce it for them. So this is what differentiates us from a lot of other organizations. There, there are a couple of organizations that do really good work trying to present theater to veterans. And they, some of them have competitions themselves. The difference is you win their competition, you get a good grant, and they're like, awesome, go conquer the day. What we do is we say, hey, we liked it. We're going to give you a grant, but we like it so much. We're also going to take the next step with you. And we're going to actually get this thing mounted on stage so that people can see it, which is every playwright's dream. So we take it all the way through conclusion. Now, we can't do that with all of them. So we have to now get, you know, become cutthroat capitalists and figure out what really is going to drive a commercial audience. And we become producers. And we have to figure out, okay, the artistry is established. Now what's going to work best for an audience? And that's where our national branding really comes into play, that we have contacts with a lot of regional theaters. And, you know, we're certainly not, not opposed to taking anything to Broadway if, if it, you know, should naturally go there. But we look for stuff that, uh, that we think audiences will really relate to and that will reflect well on us and reflect well on veteran writers and make people want to see more veteran playwrights. So it sounds like what you're saying is that uh, ultimately the winner or winners, I'm not sure how many will be in this process, but you go on tour, right? Yeah. Based on the play itself, depending on who may be producing things with us as a co-production or if we're going it alone or what agreements we strike with different theaters around the country. Yes, it's entirely possible that we go and we're doing a run in Indianapolis and Miami and San Diego, or we get uh, hooked up with the right producer and it goes right to Broadway and we open there. It just depends. And it's going to depend on um, our workshops. It depends on our connections and depends on um, how the work is received. Obviously a great regional run really builds it towards a Broadway debut. So um, that that always helps. Um, and, and again, it starts with quality work. And then from there, it's really just commercial considerations and seeing what we think audiences will take to. And then they have to prove it that, yep, audiences really do like this. Everything we thought is true and let's move forward with it. So we just take things one step at a time, but it's exciting. And it's exciting to see these plays kind of come to life and actually get birthed. Hey, so on a near future broadcast, we will be presenting the um, the actual voices of some of the folks involved in this process and the winners, and we'll get a feel for what this means to them and how this whole thing goes forward. Uh, if that's agreeable, we would love to do that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Also, uh, I would like to ask that we um, air a couple of your audio plays on a future Let's Talk Vets. That would be wonderful if we can do that. Love it. Love it. All right. So in your spare time, <clears throat> you have you have a little event coming up called Savage Wonder on Memorial Day. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So one of the first world problems that that theater brings with it is that it's a community exercise. And if you're going to do great theater, you are naturally going to want to associate with great music, great art, all the trappings artistically that would complete the picture. So in my travels, what I kept running into was all these veteran artists in other media that were not theater um, that were awesome. And at a certain point, I just realized, hey, you know, I'm in New York State, a state which has a phenomenal track record of artistic festivals. We're in an area in the Hudson Valley that is rife with veterans and artists. I was like, I think this is the right place and the right time to maybe bring all these folks together. So whether you're an opera singer that trained under Placido Domingo and also happened to be an Iraq war veteran, whether you're a Marine machine gunner from Fallujah who started your own dance company, whether you're an outlaw country singer that was a Marine veteran in Iraq, you know, whatever. These are all wildly diverse acts, but what if we brought them together in this three ring circus and then make it really extra beneficial for the community by donating all the proceeds to us and three other veteran nonprofits. Uh, we'll split the proceeds evenly so that we are helping those veteran organizations that are trying to help vets and kind of be that fundraising force multiplication um, element in that can back them up. And I was like, that seems like that kind of closes the loop on a lot of things. That, that ticks a lot of boxes for me. And it was one of those things that we knew was not going to be an easy lift. We knew you know, we're a new entity. I mean, I only got out of the military really about a year ago. So, the, you know, it's been a, it's been a wild sprint since then. And so to get the name recognition and then tell the mission and build the narrative and get everyone on board, we knew it was going to be a tall order, but the reception has been phenomenal. And the sponsors we've had come on, the backing we've gotten uh, has been incredibly encouraging. Uh, the, the buzz has been really compelling and made me think that this really could be, you know, like a Lollapalooza for veterans in the arts. And we build it, we start this with year one and we build it year over year to really uh, celebrate Memorial Day in a very unique and appropriate way. Um, obviously it's the day before Memorial Day, but you know, Memorial Day is a tough one. That's a, that's a tough holiday to celebrate because it's the start of summer, yet you're supposed to hang your head and think of the, the, the folks that died for our freedoms. And a lot of people, you know, can't really wrap their heads around that. So what we thought is, hey, if this is really a celebration of those that went before and they're being celebrated artistically by their brothers and sisters in arms, that could really be something. And that could be a great way of, you know, kicking off summer in an honorable and reverent, but also fun way. So that's it in a nutshell. All right. So before we get to closing thoughts, how do uh, folks get tickets for that? Uh, and where is that? So it's going to be at Sugarloaf Performing Arts Center in Sugarloaf Village, uh, town Chester, New York. And the reason for that is that it, we can do a three ring circus there. We can have the outdoor stage going, a huge indoor main stage and an upstairs pavilion stage. And it's great. The village of Sugarloaf actually moved their spring festival 
to our date uh, because they were like, hey, we want to support you guys. And rather than trying to compete, let's all combine forces on this. So we're closing down the entire village. It's going to be a walking only village that day. You know, um, we'll have a five acre farm for people to park in and then they can walk right down and have, you know, all the festival amenities that they could ask for and then get to see all these acts. And if they want to know more information, obviously the, the easiest thing to do is just go to our website uh, for the festival, which is savagewonder.com. Uh, very easy website to remember. And right now tickets are only about $15 because we're trying to really make this accessible to everyone. We don't want price to be a factor in people coming. It's really a love letter to the Hudson Valley, love letter to the veteran community, and a love letter to the arts community to make sure everyone you know comes together for Memorial Day in the way that Americans should. Okay, Chris, closing thoughts and how do folks get involved with uh, VetRep and your contact information, website, phone number, all that good stuff? Yeah, so the easiest way to get involved, I would say, to get into the bloodstream of what we're doing, come see a show. One of our most frivolous lines of effort that we have is every Saturday night, basically we rented too much space in our offices. So we, we threw up a three and a half inch stage we wallpapered it. It looks like Sherlock Holmes' den. And it's this funky 16-seat space that we're using for right now until we move into a 4,000-square-foot facility in about two or three years. We've got to renovate this space and build it out. So until then, we're doing these fun little shows in what we call our parlor. And I would say the best way for people to see vet rep and, for that matter, to see theater, like really good theater up close, is come on out. The tickets are pay what you can. Uh, you got to book them in advance because we do sell out far in advance because it's very easy to come and, and get tickets. So if you go to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org, you go there and you will have the opportunity to see what's playing, get tickets, come see a show, see how much fun the theater can be. These are all actors that we cast out of the city to build up our repertory company. And it's usually very well-known, funny plays. We try not to do any anything too serious because it's hard to do stuff that's going to bum you out on a, on a Saturday night. We try to keep it light and happy and fun. And, you know, we have a great time. We have, uh, I think we put on a really good show. It's a really fun ambiance, but we, you also get to hear a lot about what we do, all the lines of effort we have going on and kind of, you know, see how that strikes you and see if that, if that is uh, if that fits your speed and with the reception again has been phenomenal with it. So it's been really exciting, really gratifying to see, how much Hudson Valley responds to this kind of entertainment. So vetrep.org is really the best place to connect with us. Um, we do have a phone number if you ever want to call uh, with questions specific to the performances or what have you. You can always call us at 845-272-2611. But vetrep.org is really the best place to go to see everything we have going on and connect with us there. And we put a lot of effort into the website to make sure it's up to date and gives you all the information you should need to know. Well, Chris Myers, you've given us a lot to think about. I think you've given the audience some information they didn't know before. I think it's a, a great approach to um, the whole subject of, of getting vets involved and helping them realize not only their aspirations, but allowing them to project in their own words sometimes and and their own feelings what they've been through and 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 fostering understanding quite frankly between the veteran and civilian community so yes. uh, kudos to Thanks. you 
That means a ton, Doug. That really does. Bridging that civilian military divide means a lot to us. And I appreciate you saying that. Called him Sandy Kane. Few folks even knew his name. But a hero, yes, was he. Left boy, come back man. Still many just don't understand about the reasons we are free. Can't forget the look in his eyes Or the tears he cried As he said these words to me All gave some Some gave all Some stood through for the red, white, and blue some had to fall And if you ever think of me Think of all your liberties and recall Some Cain is no longer here, but his words are also oh clear. They echo throughout our land. For all his friends who gave us all, who stood the ground and took the fall to help their fellow man. Love your country and live with pride And don't forget those who died America, can't you see? All gave some And some gave all And some stood the red, white, and blue And some had to fall And if you ever think of me Think of all your liberties And recall Some gave all And if you ever Yes,
You're listening to Let's Talk Vets on Radio Catskill WJFF. And uh, time for a little news for you. What's happening around the area and around the nation as it pertains to you, the veteran? Well, here's an advisory. Ulster County Executive Pat Ryan, Congressman Antonio Delgado, and veterans advocates will host a public hearing to collect testimony on the impact of the potential closure of Castle Point VA Medical Center. Now, this hearing will take place Thursday, April 21st at 12.30 p.m. at the VFW Post 8645, located at 101 Route 208 in New Paltz, New York. There will be an information session on Medicare Advantage for Veterans on Wednesday, May 4th at 2 p.m. at the Ulster County Veterans Service Agency 5 Development Court in Kingston, New York. The briefing will be held in the Senior Hub, which is right across from the Veterans Service Office. This is open to any veteran in the county or any place else who can make it to Kingston. And please contact Mark Cosapoli. He's director of the Ulster County Veterans Service. He's Chief Master Sergeant USAF retired, and he can be reached at 845-340-3195, or you can email Mark at mcoz at co.ulster.ny.us. And uh, Mark would like to have an idea of how many are planning to attend ahead of time. All veterans are invited to a town hall meeting hosted by Dutchess County Executive Marcus Molinaro and the Division of Veterans Services. So you can learn about local and national resources and services available to all veterans. You can also share your experience surrounded by other veterans and service providers. When, you say? Well, it's Saturday, April 30th at noon, Poughkeepsie Elks Club, 12 over Rocker Road in Poughkeepsie. For more information, you can uh, contact Dutchess County Division of Veterans Services at 845-486-2060, or you can uh, see their website at duchessny.gov veterans. Washington, against the backdrop of Russia's attack on the Ukraine, U.S. and European Union officials are preparing a new meeting later this month. Officials hope will tie the two global players closer together on defense. The event is meant to open an additional transatlantic channel on security matters and complement similar communications already happening via NATO. Having such a forum specifically for the trade-minded European Union would energize the bloc's defense ambitions and signal Washington's link to the continent on yet another level. Speaking at the Atlantic Council think tank earlier this month, Chris Fries, a senior official at the EU Diplomatic Service, said the dialogue on security and defense would happen later in April in Brussels. Since the announcement late last year, Russia's war on Ukraine has fused Western nations through NATO and the EU on sanctions as well as humanitarian and military support to Kyiv. But the assault has also shown that only the U.S. can ultimately muster the kind of military deterrence measures in Europe which will be taken seriously by Moscow. 
The dynamic introduces the conundrum of how best to expose European Union's own capability development schemes and military funding streams to American policy and business interest without smothering the bloc's hope for autonomy. Freeze said U.S. companies are already plugged into the nascent EU defense bureaucracy by way of their membership in industry consortia led by European countries. In addition, he said the Pentagon is prominently involved in the Dutch-led project to ease the flow of troops and military equipment across European member nations. Also in Washington, the National Veterans Creative Art Festival is back in person for the first time since 2019 and will be held April 20th through the 25th in St. Petersburg, Florida. This year's 41st annual event will recognize the progress and recovery of veterans have achieved through therapy while raising the visibility of creative triumphs of our nation's veterans. Nearly 100 veterans will be honored for their artistic abilities, veterans whose art, creative writing, dance, drama, and music entries receive the highest rankings were invited to the festival. The creative arts and music therapists at the Department of Veterans Affairs medical facilities nationwide use the arts as one form of rehabilitative treatment to help veterans recover from and cope with physical and emotional disabilities. The festival is the culmination of a year-long fine arts competition in which a panel of judges reviewed more than 3,600 submissions from veterans receiving care at 118 VA facilities. The Cultural Week in St. Petersburg will offer workshops, artist interactions, a chance to explore arts on the waterfront, and it culminates in a gala-style finale at the Mahaffey Theater featuring music, drama, and dance winners showcasing their talents at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, April 24th. Michael Peterson, multi-Grammy and Country Music Award nominee, will be the MC for the show. To support veterans, the public is invited to watch live performance online and learn more information at National Veterans Creative Arts Festival or follow the activities and VA adaptive sports at Sports for Vets. You can do that on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. From the Tribune News Service, Roy A. Cooper, a disabled Army veteran, has spent most of his life trying to make it easier for people with disabilities. To fulfill that mission, he proposed and created the University of Pittsburgh's Human Engineering Research Labs, which he has headed since uh, 1994. He oversees about 25 researchers and another 75 student interns, undergraduate and graduate students, who have made groundbreaking improvements in wheelchairs, developing prosthetics and robotic limbs, and creating assistance devices to make computers more accessible. The next challenge, developing an autonomous vehicle that will increase mobility for people with disabilities. The program recently received a $750,000 grant from the Paralyzed Veterans of America to begin developing a prototype vehicle, which piggybacks nicely with the $1 million Federal Department of Transportation grant it received in 2020 
to examine whether people with disabilities would benefit from autonomous vehicles. Our thanks tonight to Don Shaw, director of Hudson Valley VA Healthcare System, and Chris Meyer, founder, president, and artistic director of VetRep. And of course, to you for joining us once again. Please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future programs. Also, send us your upcoming events so that we may talk about them on the air. You can always drop me a line at vets at wjffradio.org. If you or someone you know is experiencing anxiety or need to speak to someone, here are some numbers to remember. The Veterans Crisis Line is 1-800-273-8255. Press 1 to talk to someone. Send a text message to 838-255 to connect with a VA responder. Or you can start a confidential online chat session at Veterans Crisis Line, that's one word, dot net, slash chat. And don't forget that Let's Talk Vets is now widely available as a podcast. Until our next formation, thanks for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed. <laughs>